This episode of I'll Go First is brought to you by Acura, leading the way in auto innovation for over 30 years. Keep listening to discover how Acura sees things differently in the pursuit of precision-crafted performance. Now, on to our show. Six months in, um, I'm sitting with this doctor, and this doctor's telling me, like, your condition is getting worse, and you are not responding to any of the treatments or medications that we're giving you, and if you, if you don't stop, you will die. Hi, I'm Takara Small, and this is I'll Go First from The Globe and Mail. This is not your average tech podcast. We're going beyond the headlines and behind the million-dollar deals to chat with innovators and industry trailblazers. On this episode... My name is Eva Lau. I am the managing director of Two Small Fish Ventures. We invest in early-stage startups and hope to help them build and scale their companies from a small fish into a big whale. Hi, so my name is Cherry Rose Tan, and I am a fifth-generation entrepreneur and also an executive coach. Um, my big passion is working in the mental health vertical and doing that work in the tech industry. In this series, we've heard from almost a dozen entrepreneurs about their life and career stories. We've heard about their big ideas and even bigger plans for success. But at the end of the day, most founders face so many challenges on their own that will determine whether their business survives or dies. A lot of the pressure comes down to money, of course. But one of those challenges is a topic that can seem too taboo to even discuss. I'm talking about burnout, friends. Our guests all have stressful jobs and work long days. And each of them have their own way when it comes to dealing with stress, privately or publicly. Whether it's Will Richmond from Growth Genius, who makes sure to take time off, or Nicole Smith, who loves a hot bubble bath, who doesn't love that, and Huda Idris from Dot Health, who skydives of all things. Every entrepreneur has their own way when it comes to dealing with stress. For me, it's a little unusual, a little unorthodox, but nothing makes me happier than couponing and going grocery shopping. Finding that perfect deal on red onions <laughs> makes me so incredibly happy. Of course, the tech world can be stressful. It has 100-hour work weeks, multi-million dollar deals, and brand new surprises around every corner. Surviving that without burning out might just be the tech world's next new frontier. Today, we're pulling together the combined strength of two brilliant entrepreneurs who help other entrepreneurs survive it all. Eva Lau helps with the money. She's one of Canada's most well-known entrepreneur-turned-investors. Before starting Two Small Fish Ventures, she was the head of community and content at Wattpad. Cherry Rose Tan is a coach, speaker, and entrepreneur who helps founders navigate the choppy waters of burnout. First, we'll hear from Eva about what she looks for in a potential investment, her self-care habits, and how the tables have turned now that she's the one writing the checks instead of hustling for them. Then we'll hear from Cherry Rose about her mission to change mental health in Canada's tech industry for good. First, here's my conversation with Eva. Mm-hmm. 
you've helped launch one of Canada's most successful startups, Wattpad. Now you're investing in the ideas of other founders at Two Small Fish. What was the moment when you realized this is what you wanted to do? You wanted to invest in the businesses of other entrepreneurs. Um, it has to trace back to another Canadian success story called Bitmoji. Me and my husband were helping them out during the early days, and we fell in love uh, with their company while we were building Wattpad. And at that time, me and my husband said, if we have money uh, to invest in them, we certainly would want to because uh, it was such a, an app that everybody loves. And we saw the opportunity of how big it can become. Even though we didn't become investor, but we were advisors to them. And uh, so when they got acquired by Snapchat, uh, we certainly were celebrating with them and, you know, in a way benefited from the exit. So I think at that time, we you know, kind of planted a seed in my head. Maybe one day I'll be able to spot more opportunities like that and invest in them and help them grow and, and become mm-hmm. tech giants in the ecosystem. So what are you looking for in an investment? Well, I invest in companies that have only one common theme, and that's called network effect. Um, the way that I describe network effect is the more people use the product, the more valuable the product itself become. So if you think about social network, mm-hmm. if you have two people use it, it's not as valuable as you, if you have millions of people use it. Uh, if you think about artificial intelligence products, if they have a small pool of data set, uh, it's not as valuable if they have millions of data set for them to kind of derive uh, patterns from. So that's the type of companies that I look for are, it may start out very small, uh, before the network actually get created, mm-hmm. but have the potential to actually become gigantic. So those companies that I invest in usually are very early stage. So the excitement, when I kind of like, you know, describe it, I smell it. I can smell the opportunity. I can see how uh, the network will eventually evolve and become uh, a massive uh, network. That's when I get the thrill of very exciting. There aren't many women in Toronto and Canada's tech ecosystem that are investors. What is it like um, to be the one that's writing the checks, that that's making someone's dreams come true through their business? It's certainly very fulfilling. If I looked around the ecosystem here, a lot of the investors in the ecosystem are coming from the uh, investment side. You know, they may be uh, accountants, lawyers, uh, investment bankers, certainly have many years of investment, which I look up to a lot. But at the same time, if I look at the ecosystem uh, for VCs who have actually built massive companies, I mean, internet stage, uh, internet companies, that have, you know, grow from zero to uh, tens of millions, not a lot. And if I look around, maybe there are only a handful of people who have been there and done that. And I'm one of the very few of them. And so I feel very privileged that I have the opportunity to share my knowledge and experience with the other entrepreneurs. So for me, being in such a position, it's it's very exciting because um, many times I saw the entrepreneur eyes lit up the moment I spoke to them and asked them questions, and, mm-hmm. and they looked at me and say, wow, you're the very first person <laughs> who actually asked me such a question, yeah. but that's the question who actually kept me up all night, all the time. Yeah. So in a certain level that I, I speak to these entrepreneurs from a, a, a very personal level, um, having been on their side of the table long enough, and uh, that connection is just so strong, and, and I think 
I think we our ecosystem need more people like myself who can really understand the entrepreneurs what they're going through. How do you define success for yourself? That's a very interesting question because I don't necessarily look at myself being successful. You know, some people come to me and say, "Hey, Eva, you're so successful." I'm like, "No, I am just a person that who loves." Doing what I'm doing and enjoy every minute of it. From some people's perspective, I may have achieved certain level of milestones in my life, but I I'm a, a person who believe in continuous learning. Many years ago, I I started off you know in the technology world of Windows, <laughs> and then very quickly I have to learn new things because the Windows world changed into the Internet dot com world. And then very quickly, it turns into the mobile world, and then the social network world, and then uh, artificial intelligence, and now blockchain and and quantum is coming into the picture as well. So I'm、mm-hmm. continuously learning and being curious. That's how I define someone having a successful life, I suppose. And you're always learning. You're always growing. You're always working. I'm wondering, what do you do for self care then? It's actually rather simple. I actually love sleeping. Um, even though I don't sleep a lot, given that my busy schedule, that's what、yeah. I enjoy a lot. There are a couple things that I do. So don't laugh, okay? This is、I、really、won't. just、I、my、swear. thing. Okay. I I love I love window shopping on the internet. Really? So, <laughs> I, I I got an email address that actually subscribed to almost all the you know interesting fashion brand or handbag brands. Oh, or, I love that. You know, or or home home decor brand that. You know, they continuously send me all the all the promotional code.、Yeah. I don't go shopping when it's original price. So whenever they send me a, a promotional code, that's a good incentive for me to kind of break away from my email pile or my、yeah. due diligence in a company. I just oh something's on sale. Let me just go check it out. And I, I usually don't buy much.、I'm, yeah. You know, sometimes I actually don't buy it at all. But after that, you know, twenty minutes of like, oh, this dress looks nice. Oh, wow, this is like extra fifty off. Yeah. Like that to me, it's like, okay, I am good. I can go back to work now. I feel I feel so <laughs> close to you because I do a similar thing. I love to bargain shop, even if I have money. I'm always looking online for a, for a better deal. How do you avoid burnout and manage stress? I think you know when I was younger, we were talking about. Right after I graduated from university, many years I have always been in the startup world. I、mm-hmm. work in startups, and then later on I work in a tech incubator, and I help grow startups. So I kind of understood,、uh, you know, what's required, what's demanded in this startup world. That it's a little bit crazy when you have to make things happen. You tend to forget about what you need to do, especially when it comes to taking care of yourself. But I guess because I have been there for so many years, I can I can actually tell signs of me about to get burnout. I'm kind of getting more restless. I get more agitated. Then that's I know I said you know what tonight I'm not gonna do anything.、Mm-hmm. I will just you know read a book or listen to a lot of songs or just kind of like flipping、uh, on my phone to look at my kids' old pictures. Or you know what? Play with my new puppy. I have a new puppy. She's、yeah. six months old, and for me to play with her, she do silly things and she make me laugh. And and、uh, we play hide and seek with the puppy. And <laughs> to me, that's that's very relaxing.、Yeah. It doesn't have to be the whole evening, but just that kind of dose of thinking nothing else but silly things certainly helped me tremendously. But I guess you know, for me, it's quiet time.、Mm-hmm. What it comes to is quiet time. Actually, focusing of Why am I doing this? 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a very important question that I ask myself from time to time again when I needed that clarity in my busy schedule. Sometimes I'll be, you know, maybe chasing after one deal or maybe, you know, I was talking to one investors and I kind of like, oh, I wish I had said that. Or, you know, you know, there are many things that, you know, kind of cluttered our, our thoughts all the time. And sometimes, you know, as, as a person who, you know, you can say a go-getter, like I, I just want to make sure I get things done and achieve what I, I have set forth myself to do. And many times, you know, you, you're just not going to be able to get the way that you want it to. Mm-hmm. And, and that creates frustration. Yeah. And when you frustrate yourself and you kind of like, okay, I got to step back. Why, why am I frustrated? What am I really frustrated about? Is there a meaning behind my frustration? And, and that kind of like a thought process helped me a lot to gain clarity to being able to kind of say, you know what, the frustration that I'm experiencing right now was actually rooted from, you know, a small thing. And if I just let go that small thing and kind of like refocus myself on some big issues, mm-hmm. then that frustration just disappeared. Have you yourself, um, I guess, seen firsthand entrepreneurs dealing with burnout and and how, you know, if someone's listening to this podcast right now, how would you advise they deal with that? Well, I certainly have, have seen it firsthand myself, you know, when my husband, Alan, started Wattpad mm-hmm. back in 2006. The first couple years, it was dismal years because um, I remember, <laughs> you know, when the community was very small, we received a check from Google for the advertising revenue and it was just only $2. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You can imagine how, how hard it was. And uh, for me, I, I think, you know, maybe I'm a little bit unconventional, but I was being very, very supportive because um, I guess just just myself are... I just enjoy working in startup and I understand the, the life cycle of, of a startup and I understand that not everyone will have success in startup. Mm-hmm. But yes. it's, it's, some, it's some sort of journey that someone would have to run it so that they felt that, you know what, I have done it. Even though it was not successful, but I have tried it. I've given it a good try. Mm-hmm. So that's what I told Alan. I said, don't worry about it. If this is not going to turn out great at least we've tried it we have a good run and and that's all it it counts and you know if we need to start all over again uh we were we were still young we can find a job and rebuild our career so i think uh support from the families and understand that there's always a way out for any difficult situations i think that's going to be tremendously helpful to all entrepreneurs just think of the worst case what's going to be the worst case yeah well, the startup is not going to work. And then what? Well, worst, worst case, find another job or find another idea. (laughs) You know, the end, the world is not going to end that way. Thank you so much. This has actually made me feel better about my day-to-day life. (laughs) I am so glad. I am so glad. (laughs) At least, you know, uh, you know, what I share, um, it's similar to a lot of people out there. And I think it's important that everyone needs to know that their story, it's, certainly unique to themselves but Mm -hmm. their experience can be shared and a lot of people will probably feel that you're talking about their life as well and being able to uh, hear that someone out there is experiencing the same thing as they are I think it's important and it helps um, to support even one personal growth. This has been the Acura Innovation Series. Over the past several weeks, you've learned about Acura's history of innovation and how they're driven towards redefining the future. 
Now, Acura can talk about world firsts all they want, but the only way you'll truly experience Acura is by getting behind the wheel. Rediscover the joy of human-centric driving, the exhilaration of innovation, and precision-crafted performance for yourself at Acura.ca. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Eva. It's so important to note that even though she's one of Canada's most successful and well-known entrepreneurs turned investors, even she takes the time to focus on self-care. Which brings me to our next conversation with Cherry Rose Tan, who is a founder, public speaker, and leading a new initiative focused on mental health care for entrepreneurs and founders. It's called For Founders by Founders. Disclaimer, it got really intense and there may there may be a couple of tears coming your way. Here's my conversation with Cherry Rose Tan. So grateful to have you in studio. I know talking about burnout and entrepreneurship is something you've been doing for quite a while. Tell me about why that's so important and why now? You know, my background has been as a tech founder, and I come from a pretty entrepreneurial family, like like literally five generations of entrepreneurs and, and coming from a family of eight founders. And I found that, you know, during my upbringing, um, there, there's always a lot of conversation, I think, especially in the business world or coming from a business family where, you know, you're talking about all the the traditional business-related things. It's like, okay, like this is how you deal with your IP. This is how you deal with incorporation. And I think the whole part that is really missing in our our dialogue is really about that emotional piece, right? And it's like, you know, for anybody who's been an entrepreneur, who's been a founder, like people can relate to what I'm about to say, but it's, mm-hmm. it's like literally one of the most stressful journeys of your life. You can go one day where you've just like closed a race like you oh you've raised like two million dollars for your company and then the next day it's like oh like actually we're getting sued yeah right and the volatility is so crazy and so what I noticed with so many founders really honestly is like you know especially in the tech industry there are so many people right now that are going through burnout you know in the industry we're starting to get used to putting out resources to really address that like in a preventative way and rather than a reactive way mm-hmm. it's it's like really important that we're making sure that we're we're supporting founders throughout the whole journey and not just just really like allowing people to kind of go through these big stressors and feeling like they're not supported entrepreneurship is definitely romanticized in today's society we often focus on the end of the journey rather than the beginning is it feasible to actually put the resources into the preventive care if you're an entrepreneur you don't have the money and the time Mm, that's a really great question my opinion on this is that even though people feel like like it might be going out of the way to put those resources in place what I see in the work that I do every day, like I do mental health work in the tech industry, like what I see is that it's completely and absolutely necessary. Like we're mm. in a place right now in the future of work, like, you know, if you look at the stats, the stats are very, very grim, right? So hit me with some stats. Yeah. So stats like for entrepreneurs, for example, 
Um, 72% of entrepreneurs have reported experiencing mental illness. There's a 30% rate for depression, um, a 29% rate for anxiety. So that's four times the baseline. And, you know, this year I've been really on a mission to, to speak on as many stages as possible, especially in the tech industry, because I don't think we have enough visibility, enough stories. And when I started speaking on these stages, you know, what sort of unexpectedly happened was like so many founders would come and they would find me after the conference. Privately to discuss it. Privately. And and you could even feel how shy and how tender people were just even just, just to share a little bit of something because... Mm-hmm. I remember the first conference I spoke at, um, I spoke at a crypto conference. We had about 700 people there. And I had spoken very bluntly about, you know, these are some of the stats that are going on right now with mental health. And I know for a fact, because I have so many people, most of my friends are actually founders, Mm -hmm. that like we deal with depression and anxiety. And so I, I had a call for actions. Like I'm actually starting these these dinners, these circles where I'm going to be bringing people to talk about mental health. And I literally came off the stage and it was <laughs> it was kind of the most awkward thing, but it was so silent. Like nobody clapped. And I've never had that happen before with any keynote, any panel that I've done. Nobody clapped. It was so silent. And literally the rest of the time of the conference, nobody spoke to me. And I, and I was later on at this after party at a different building. Mm-hmm. And people would wait until I was alone. And I had 10 different founders, like high, like high profile founders come up to me. And, and some people were in tears and they're mm-hmm. like, I haven't been able to share that like, that like I've been going through all these stressors because I'm scared people will judge. And yeah. so I'm wondering for someone who's listening to this podcast and they're unfortunately at a time where they're not able to share with maybe their co-founders or their employees, how can they tell what stress and what's burnout? I feel like everyone's stressed these days. I'm an entrepreneur myself. How can you differentiate? And when do you know when you should reach out to someone? Yeah, that's a that's an awesome question. Like the difference I see with stress and burnout is that burnout's like that red flag that that tells you 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 need to be really checking in with yourself. It's a red flag that tells you you need to slow down. Right? I think especially when we look at the research, stress can actually be very adaptive, right? Like um, one of my favorite books is uh, called Anti-Fragile, which talks about this, uh, this concept of, you know, what would it be like to imagine systems where systems become stronger from chaos or become stronger from stress mm-hmm. rather than breaking from stress? And there's actually some research also, too, on like, you know, a little bit controversial, but some research on uh, post-traumatic uh, growth, okay. right, for certain people. But with burnout, the, the the feeling of burnout goes beyond just like, you know, coming home and feeling like, oh, you know, that business meeting I did this morning, like didn't go well, and I felt right. stressed. And now I'm, I'm kind of ranting. Like burnout is like this prolonged feeling. Right. And, you know, when I personally dealt with burnout, as a founder, especially in my first startup, yeah, you know how how I knew for me it was it was not just stress that that this was something more it was like I would, I remember waking up each day, and I and I thought to myself, okay, now like I've chose okay now I've chosen to sleep like eight hours a day, and at the time I, previous to that I had been sleeping like five hours a day, yeah. for a few years, and I remember doing this for an entire month, 
and I'd wake up and I was still really, really exhausted. Mm-hmm. And it was it was the most bizarre thing. And I was pretty young at the time. And so even an, another founder who des, who described it in a in an article in Beta Kit, you know, he mentioned his experience as this feeling of there was always this like murmur, this like this buzz in his life. It was like this this buzz of anxiety in his life with everything. Mm-hmm. He'd be with his his wife and his children, but he would never feel fully relaxed because he knew the next day it's like, oh, maybe I'm going to have to deal with some crazy stressor in my tech startup. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't realize that that's actually not normal to have that buzz until that's you, after you get thing, out, right? It? You're it's not, crazy. You're unaware. And I find it's because a lot of entrepreneurs are friends with other f- entrepreneurs. Founders mm-hmm. are friends with other founders. So they just assume this is the norm to feel that way. How did you deal with burnout then? You mentioned you shared your story and said that you felt like there was a time in your life where you were just completely burnt out. Yeah. So really, honestly, I'd like to say that I had learned, you know, when when I had seen the signs, but it actually took me more time before I I really took it seriously. So Mm -hmm. um, in my first startup, I was working about 90, yeah, 90 to 100 hours a week. And this was year six in this in this lifestyle. And when you're a young founder, you kind of think, well, like you're young enough, you can handle the stress. It's you know, it's cool. I can I can sleep when it's like later on and I've done my exit or whatever. Um, what had happened over the course of time, I would say this is about a year. I started getting all kinds of symptoms. It was you know started Do you mind off sharing. Yeah. Um, so it started off with a cough. And then the cough turned into bronchitis, and the bronchitis ended up lasting nine months, which is very irregular. Yeah. And I had gone to see three different doctors for medication, and I wasn't responding to any of the medications. And at the end, you know, like, the last doctor I saw, saw was like, I don't really know what to do. You're just not responding. Um, I had headaches that turned into migraines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third one was, um, I remember eating food. And I started getting indigestion, and I've never had indigestion like in my life, mm-hmm. so that was very bizarre. But I think the scariest one of all, really honestly, was um, I started uh, having, I guess, like heart palpitations. I don't know what else you would call that, but it's like I literally had this feeling in my chest sometimes when my heart was beating so fast that I thought I was having a heart attack. <laughs> and it's wow. like, it's, it's, and it's crazy. And it was yeah. like the combination of those four things. And literally like what happened to me was I went and I checked myself into doctors. Like after that, after that experience of ex- experiencing all four symptoms simultaneously in a day, yeah. it's like, this is, this is not at all normal. And I yeah. went in for a comprehensive assessment, you know, like, like a team of doctors and it was, yeah, it was really depressing. Like it was, you know, like it's good thing that you checked in cause you could have died. Like this, this is not the symptoms that you're experiencing. Like, like people could literally collapse and just die from this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so me being stubborn, I was like, okay, well, I've been working 100 hours a week. Let me go work 70 hours. Oh, no. I know. I know. I know. This is, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't great. So I was stubborn. And um, I thought that that was going to be the cure. You know, like, okay, like 30 hours off. Great. Like, I'm sure that's an easier schedule. And my learning lesson to this was I was still seeing these doctors um, 
quite regularly. And six months in, um, I'm sitting with this doctor and this doctor's telling me, um, like, your condition is getting worse and you are not responding to any of the treatments or medications that we're giving you. And if you if you don't stop, you will die. Did you take a step back after that then? Yeah, that that's when I that's did. That's when it hit. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, even when I tried to cut it down into like regular hours, I still was in spirit experiencing so many symptoms. So really, honestly, um, like I actually left, like I actually had to discontinue like, wow. like what I was doing. And I actually left the industry and, you know, in, in this journey. So it, it took me two and a half years to repair all the damage I had done to my body. I know you mentioned that you said you were from a family of founders, and I know um, the work you're doing now is also related to the recent passing of your brother. If you don't mind sharing, can you tell me a little bit about that and how it affects your work? Yeah, so um, this past year has been very, very painful. I mean, you know, um, so... The, the experience that I tell people is that um, my brother and I have been co-founding companies or co-investing into companies for 14 years. So we've either been each other's co-founders or advisors or investors. And, um, you know, these past five years, they were very stressful for us. Um, we own a company called Paycase Financial, which is leading really Canada's crypto movement. Um, we are doing a, like a major launch right now that, you know, it's basically going to be like Canada's first fully compliant crypto exchange. And we're actually launching it with the Toronto Stock Exchange and the Bank of Montreal. And this is huge for the crypto scene because there aren't, it's, you know, the stuff about the regulation and the legal stuff is a huge issue for so many people. And so my brother was in the forefront of this of this whole movement, did incredible things all, all around the world to help with like blockchain regulation along with um, with his partner, Joseph. And during the course of this year, you know, I found myself. Um, so I was in a major car accident in September. Mm-hmm. And then we lost my brother on Christmas, on literally on Christmas Day. And he passed away from literally just like like a sudden medical accident. Right. And then while we were preparing for my brother's funeral, my mom got diagnosed with stage three, three C cancer Mm -hmm. two weeks after my brother passed. And when I went into the tech industry to really seek mental health supports for myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know, you know, people who have experienced grief will really relate to this. Like grief is. It's, it's experience. I, I don't even know if I can put it into words, but it, it's so intense, mm-hmm. you know, and I've I've had a history with depression when I was younger, like like 10 years from age 10 to 20. I had depression. Gr- grief was a level of sadness I didn't even know that I could feel. Mm-hmm. And um, my brother Kian was my he's my only sibling. He's my baby brother. Mm-hmm. And, and it was it was such a kind of like a violation of everything that you know it's like okay like I'm not supposed to be outliving like my younger sibling for my parents it was just completely jarring for them Mm -hmm. um so yeah when I went to go seek out mental health resources and I'm trying to look for people that I could talk to my own industry it was like crickets what I realized was like wow I I can't even tell which founder or 
Yeah, I can't even tell which founder or which investor I could go up to just to talk really honestly about my experience because nobody talks about it. That really broke my heart because it's like I know so many. Yeah, I know so many of my friends who like have survived depression, who survived anxiety, who pour all of their lives into their work. People don't see this about founders, Mm -hmm. you know, like as a founder you hold the space for everybody else. Yeah. Right? You are you are the figurehead. You are the leader. So everybody else in your company relies on you. Mm-hmm. And what people don't see is like, who does the founder go to when you're already at the top of the pyramid? And the really frank answer is that most founders don't go to anybody. And so literally, like what I did this past year is I started speaking at tech conferences and I would go up to organizers and I challenge them on things and I tell them, hey, you have a tech conference with like 500, 800 founders. And Mm -hmm. I know that you know deep down that mental health is probably the biggest issue Mm -hmm. that founders deal with. And I'm asking you if you would be willing to like consider putting like like a mental health panel or a mental health keynote where I can talk very openly about this issue so that we can just start the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so where this led to in my work right now is this Christmas, which is also my brother's anniversary, I am launching a platform called For Founders by Founders. And what this is, is that this is a call to action. This is a call to arms for the tech industry. Because what breaks my heart is that I have founders come up to me and people just feel very alone. And the current mental health solution that we have in the industry is like, it's either founders going to a therapist, founders going to a coach. Um, Right now there's teletherapy, um, there's meditation classes, and there's yoga classes. Those Mm -hmm. are are kind of the, the traditional solutions right now. And I love the work that's being done there. You know, I'm, I'm a coach as well. So like, I, I, I really respect that work. Mm-hmm. But what I'm noticing in my own experience, especially around what happened with my family, is that that's not enough. You know, it's not enough that founders have to kind of go outside of their community to get support. Yeah. And so for Founders by Founders, what we do is we go up to high profile like founders, so C-level, like CEOs, COOs, CTOs, et cetera. Um, And we also go up to high-profile angel investors and venture capitalists. And literally what we ask them to do is, would you be willing to pledge your mental health story? Mm -hmm. And it's either as you can share your personal experience of mental health and to as much as you're comfortable with, or you can share why and how you support mental health and the idea, the, the mission is that we want to see founders and investors championing their own founders. And so, I mean, your story, I think, really resonated with me, especially. We talked about this privately, but the recent mm-hmm. passing of two people in my family. What, uh, I'm just thinking on a larger scale, what can the industry do? What you're doing yourself is so important. But what can the industry as a whole do since a lot of the conversations that are happening are taking place in private? Mm -hmm. Um, I think the number one thing is to just really be open to human and authentic conversation. Mm -hmm. And 
What I mean by this is, you know, and I'm sure you could relate to this as also like a founder. You know, when we talk like founder to founder, a lot of the conversation is, you know, like, you know, we ask how the traditional, the how are you? <laughs> How's the company doing? Yeah. And our default answers can be, yeah, like it's busy, but the company's doing well. And oftentimes people just leave it there. Mm-hmm. But if you come from a place where you're present, you come from a place of empathy. What I notice now when I have that lens is I notice that oftentimes when people say that to me, at least half the time, that's not the case. Like there's actually something deeper. Mm-hmm. And so part of the invitation that I have for people, and even it's a small gesture, but it means a lot, is to go and repeat the question and to repeat it with sincerity. So I'll even, I'll even tell people, I said, like, but how are you really doing? Mm-hmm. Or how are you as a person? You know, as a person, not as the CEO, Interesting. but how are you as a person really doing and just allowing them to say whatever it is that they need to say. I think it's really important that we're also sharing our stories. There is a lot of power in the diversity of stories. We don't want people to feel that, oh, like the only time that I can talk about depression is by finding other people that also went through depression. Yeah, Like there is power in being able to know that you could share your story with anybody and that it could right. be done with respect. So. And, and speaking of sharing your story, I'm wondering, have you personally seen a difference in how men and women approach burnout, stress, depression when it comes to the tech industry? Yes, like... I, and by the way, I, I absolutely love that you're asking this question mm-hmm. um, because I think there is a lot of work to do in this area. So in the tech industry, a lot of the founders are, are male, to be really frank. Yep. There's also this uh, this culture of sort of bravado. Huh. Um, and, and, it's not, and it's not done with ill will. Like I think... So many of the stories, and it's not just in tech, when you kind of look at a lot of these big, you know, business magazines, big publications, you know, we're kind of glorifying these stories around like hustle and grind and like, look at this person who like didn't pay themselves for like five years and they got this big deal. And what ends up happening with that is if that's the story you're comparing yourselves to, you you don't feel like wanting to share your own story. And so what I notice, especially with with men in particular, is that a lot of them have a hard time finding the access point to just even share their story. Like they're, you know, you know, when I talked about the 50 founders that I interviewed, the 50 yeah. tech founders, yeah, a lot of, a lot of them are male. And part of the feedback was that you know, even though like my co-founder, my my partner, my business partner, he's one of my best friends. I just don't know how to start the conversation with him because we just we don't talk emotions. Mm-hmm. We talk metrics. We talk money. What I think is toxic in the general culture right now yeah. is that there's still a lot of pressure for men to be quote unquote macho or for men to be quote unquote masculine. Right. Mm -hmm. And part of that stereotype is telling people, well, like, boys don't cry. Right. Mm -hmm. And we need to actually be proactive in telling men that, hey, you know what? 
it's okay for you to be human. Like, it's okay for you to grieve because, like, an advisor that you've really respected for so many years has now left. Mm -hmm. Or, like, a co-founder that you've built that you've built the first three of your years of your business has decided to go. Mm-hmm. And that proactiveness needs to be there because we have to combat the status quo. And, um, you know, when you're working with women, I think because there's so few female founders, so few uh, female investors, and, you know, when it comes to people of color, that number is even slimmer. How do you approach that? Because I imagine uh, sometimes women would feel like they can't disclose or share their personal stories because they're fearful of what that will mean for their image or for the people that follow behind them. Um, what What is that like? Mm, that, yeah, that's an awesome question. I mean, one of the things I think I've, I've been so grateful for is that um, there have been a lot of spaces, especially I think female-centric spaces that have been created, especially in our yeah. city, right? Yeah. Um, you know, like I'm I'm part of a, a women's club called Verity. Um, oh, yes, at, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that and that's been an incredible safe space. Um, you know, there's a lot of other women who've done incredible work. You know, we have Vicky Saunders with SheEO. Um, you've got Lauren Robinson from Highline VC who leads, you know, female founders because she was an investor and felt that there were no spaces at all for female investors mm-hmm. to be able to speak about their experience. Um, you previously had like the Veneta Project. So, you know, part of the work that I do with women, right? Because also women too, like the solutions that we give, you know, how I said, you know, for men, there ha- there's this particular approach, this, these things that we could do to to move that forward. The That curated approach also needs to be done for women. And really, frankly, you know, the issues that, that I think we experience as female founders is that sometimes there's this feeling that that are positions can be taken away yeah like, I, like so precarious our position yeah right like there's that fragility i don't you know like i know i know you get this like there's yeah. this fragility to it it's like okay like i'm i'm the ceo but i feel like i can't relax because i'm i'm concerned that people are going to question my competency yeah as a ceo and there's stress that goes along with that then right mm-hmm. and the other thing too is that I experienced this, um, especially, you know, when I first started my tech journey, um, a lot of women feel like they have to be like men. And I know I really mm-hmm. honestly, I was I was guilty yeah. of that, too. You know, I I remember. Um, so I was at a tech Toronto event. This is when I had my first startup. We had 300 people at the TELUS building and I'm walking around and I kid you not. There's yeah, 300 people at this event. And the entire floor, I only I spotted only eight women, hmm. literally, hmm. And, and it and it was so jarring for me. And I remember that first year where I was networking with VCs and I was going to all these startup events, and it was, yeah, it was tough. It's tough being like the first. It's tough, you know, being the only one, especially if you're in, even in tech verticals that don't have a lot of women. So for example, like in crypto, you know, right now, like there's not a lot of women in crypto. Yeah. And so even like the crypto ladies, like the ones that I can find, like we we will do our own like lunches and dinners. Yeah. And so part of the thing that I think I do differently for women and I really promote this is like we can be proactive 
and gathering us together to talk about these issues. We can be proactive and also supporting our fellow woman. Can you ever recover from burnout? So my answer would be yes. And and why I say this is part, part of the work that I do with mental health is I want people to to realize how powerful we can be when we have a healthy relationship with our emotions. Right. You know, I know burnout's a scary thing. You know, you hear stories in the media of people collapsing their offices, you know, people like Arianna Huffington, for example. But when you're committed to doing the work of healing, when you're mm-hmm. committed to doing, you know, what I call self-work, mm-hmm. where you kind of evaluate, hey, like, what are the stories I'm telling with myself about success? A hundred percent. I feel that that is possible to fully recover. And not only do I think it's possible to fully recover, I actually feel that you can get stronger for it. Now I know when I'm getting, when I'm teetering into mm-hmm. a zone that's going to go dangerous. And because I have that experience around really extreme burnout, I know right away when I need to slow down. And I have this adaptive capacity for stress. And so, especially for anyone who is listening, who is dealing with burnout right now, or who feels maybe ashamed or scared about like, okay, am I going to ever recover? Or how do I go about doing this? Like, I really want to let people know that I have seen so many people who've recovered from burnout, but it's it's definitely in that step-by-step of taking it a day at a time, mm-hmm. you know, being gentle and kind with yourself. And also knowing that like, you know, if we're committed to the journey of taking our care of ourselves first, that mm-hmm. over time that that recovery is possible. How can people stay updated on the launch of Four Founders by Founders? So how people can stay updated is uh, on Twitter, which is my handle is at Cherry Rose Tan. People can also stay updated with our website, which is called fourfoundersbyfounders.com. So the best way that people can help is by really spreading the word about the Four Founders by Founders platform. And I'm really proud to say, like, we just made the public call to stories three weeks ago. And in those three weeks, we've already had 40, like, high-profile founders and investors who've pledged their mental health stories. And we're, we're aiming for 50 right now for Christmas. So, you know, if you're listening and you're somebody who wants to participate by sharing their story, please reach out. Or if you know of a friend, then definitely let them know because we would, we would love to hear from you. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Eva Lau and Cherry Rose Tan for sharing their stories. This is the final episode of I'll Go First, for now, of course. If you like this series, make sure to let us know by giving us a five-star rating on iTunes or emailing the show at podcasts at globeandmail.com. I'm at Takara Small on Twitter. I'll Go First is a Vocal Fry Studios production. It's executive produced by Kieran Reyna, Katrina Bolek, and editorial assistance from David Michaels. For more stories about entrepreneurship, make sure to visit theglobeandmail.com.